Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing good. I always say that. Today, I have a fantastic guest. I have someone on that has been on before, and I always like to have her come on periodically because she is my go-to expert on many things around behavior and sensory and parenting. So I have Wendy Burtonall is back on the show, and we had a great conversation about big emotions. <laughs> Who doesn't deal with big emotions when it comes to kids with anxiety and OCD? It's really the side dish that comes with everything else that we deal with. So I love to bring you people in the field who are innovative, who are real, who are down to earth, who are walking the talk and get it on a very personal level, because that's kind of my style too. So uh, besides her education in having an undergraduate degree in child development and a master's degree in special education, Wendy is very similar to me. She has three kids. They have their own struggles. and She has been working as a parent coach, helping parents online deal with difficult behaviors and big emotions and just parenting in general. I think you're going to really enjoy her perspective on how to help our kids handle those big emotions and what we as parents are supposed to do. So before we get started, I do want to let you know that my online study guide for the space program is about to be available. It is completely done. And in the next few days, if not already, actually, now that I think about it, because this will be next week, it is going to be available in my online school at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So check out the school and you'll see I have, I think about seven classes. Actually, it's very sad that I don't know how many classes I have, but the space program study guide will be available. The space program helps parents. It's a parent only approach to their child's anxiety or OCD developed by LA Leibowitz. And I have created an online study guide with videos that kind of flesh out the program and walk you through it. So you can check that out. It's in my online school at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. I also want to let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by NoCD. NoCD provides online OCD therapy really all over the world now in the US, UK, Australia, and even Canada. So you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to just even see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. You can go to treatmyocd.com. They even can do assessments. If you're not sure if your child has OCD, it's great to even just go to them and get a full assessment and see where to go from there. So you can go to treatmyocd.com. I'll leave the link in the show notes as well. So without further ado, let's hear my interview with Wendy. Well, I want to welcome Wendy Burtonall to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's fun. This is going to be such a good topic because. This is like the number one question I always get, and it's good to have an expert come on and talk about it so that my audience can get a different perspective. We deal with big emotions. You're like the go-to person for big emotions, how to handle them, what to do. A lot of times we're handling them maybe, you know, not in the best way. So before we dive in, which is going to be a really good topic, can you tell people a little bit about you? Yeah. So again, I'm Wendy Burtonall. My background is in special education. That's where I got my master's degree. And I remember when I first started teaching, I came into teaching thinking, I've got behavior, 
down. Like I've read all the textbooks and I know all the textbooks answers. And I think I approached my teaching the first couple of years that way. And then I had a child who had some pretty challenging behaviors. He was my child, not in my classroom, it was my child. And it threw me for a loop because none of the textbook answers were working. And it really caused me to take a step back and say, okay, what if my child is not as black and white as this textbook? What do I do? And so that's when I started looking at behavior in a different lens, not from how do I stop it from happening or how do I control it, but to looking at it like, why is this happening? And how can we support it without excusing it? And it's really led me down this path of seeing challenging behavior in a different way, like you said. And so for the past six years, I've been coaching parents online, helping them see behavior in a different light and address it directly, but in a way that might be a little countercultural, but really effective. Yeah. And so many of us need that. And it's interesting. I think your story, and I've had you on the podcast before, and you have your own podcast, We've talked about behavior. We talked about sensory stuff. You've been a wealth of, of knowledge. And I think people who really like walk the walk, you know, I mean, not that you have to experience these things in order to be like a great professional, but I feel like when you have your own kids, it just changes your perspective because you're like, wait a minute, but you know, they taught me this approach and then he's supposed to be like, okay, mom, you know, <laughs> you're like, why is this happening? <laughs> Absolutely. And you're in that field too. Like you understand it because not only are you a therapist, but you're a mom. And I feel like it made me more realistic in my approach. And for me, I think it became this, like, I can't do all the textbook things. Like I can't create this home where we're doing everything by the book because that's not who I am. And that's not who my child is. So really understanding that the way that we approach things has to be, um, I don't know. It has to be simple and it has to be sustainable or else it's just not going to work. So I think I always try to come from that lens because of my experience as a mom, but it's easy to get caught up in that. Well, if you do one, two, three things, then everything's going to be perfect. And here's the perfect system for it. And that's just, it just doesn't exist. Yeah. And then it can make you feel bad, you know, like you're doing something wrong or you're not being perfect, you know, it just brings up all that mom guilt. So yeah. So I, that's why I really like your style because it's, it's realistic. And I think that's, that's important. All right. So we're going to dive into big emotions for anxious kids. Very rare to have an anxious child who doesn't have big emotions at some point, especially as they're revving up. So let's start with, what do you think are some pitfalls? We'll start with the bad stuff. What are some pitfalls? <laughs> you know, cause we'll just get right in there that we inadvertently do um, when our kids have big emotions. And, and maybe we should st- take a step back and talk about defining what big emotions are. Big emotions. I would say big emotions are anything that a child feels deeply and acts on in a big way. I, I love that. <laughs> That's a very good explanation. Yeah, because it kind of covers a lot of things, right? It could be sadness for some child, and maybe that results in this massive temper tantrum. You know, they're so sad to leave grandma and grandpa's house that they freak out and become defiant and obstinate in all the things. Or maybe it's fear. And that really triggers them to being defiant or aggressive or whatever it is. But I feel like it's when there's that action that follows that emotion, it gets really challenging to know how to address it in the home because the way it was addressed probably for most of us when we were kids is they address the behavior, right? You don't speak to me that way. Just 
stop freaking out over this. We always come to grandma's house. You know, we have to leave. You do what I'm told. We're always addressing that behavior, but we can take a step back and say, how do we address this emotion that's causing the behavior? It really helps us take a different approach and see things in a different lens. So I like that we have this space here on this podcast to be able to do that. Yeah. Because it's a hard thing intuitively to do. I think (laughs) when your child is like imploding or exploding to not make it about you, you know, it's just because it's frustrating. It's annoying. Sometimes we're in a hurry or we're like, you know, at the airport, (laughs) we've been traveling. (laughs) You're like in places that are, you know, you just don't have time for that. So you talk about addressing the emotion behind the behavior. Can you go into that a little bit? Uh, So if you think about it, well, my brain is super simple and I always go back to that, but I like to think of behavior as like a weed. So imagine it's like a dandelion and the behavior that we're seeing is the dandelion that everybody sees in the middle of this grass, right? But it's driven by the roots that are causing it to grow. And those roots are the emotions that a child has. And so if we're constantly going in and like mowing the lawn and chopping down each and every one of those dandelions or punishing every one of those behaviors, they're going to keep coming back because the roots are still there. Those emotions are still causing something. It might look different every time. Those emotions are still causing something. So when we can take a step back and address those emotions and get to the real roots, then what we can see is we can see something different coming from those emotions instead of exploding or imploding, like you were talking about, there can be more of a connection. There can be more communication. There can be more, I mean, hopefully mindful actions come from these emotions. Emotions don't have to drive negative behaviors. I hate using negative, but they don't have to drive these massive behaviors. They can drive a lot of connection and communication if we can help gear our children towards that. Yeah. And I think big emotions scare some parents. Oh yeah. So let's talk about some of the pitfalls of how people approach emotions that maybe, you know, it's just like plucking that dandelion out and just leaving the entire root. I love the analogy because it's like, <laughs> hate, hate weeds. Yeah. Right. It works. I mean, grass is full of them right now. Yeah. We're in a drought, so we can't do anything to our lawn, but it's yeah. fine. <laughs> so I think we all want our kids to be happy, right? It's so nice and calm and makes us feel really good when our kids are happy. And so we want to drive that behavior more than these other behaviors that come from the emotions that our kids are having. So a lot of times we find ourselves going into one of two categories where we're either trying to control the emotion, which is like telling your kid, oh, it's okay. Don't be sad. Don't be scared. You don't need to worry about this. We're essentially telling them, fix this emotion so that you don't have to behave in this way. And that's a tough one because a lot of us were told that when we were young. So it's kind of an instinct for us to do this and we want to make it better. Right. And so we're trying to tell our child, you don't have to have these massive feelings. This is just a normal everyday situation. It's just getting on an airplane. It doesn't need to cause so much stress. And we want that for them, but negating or downplaying their emotion is not the way to do it. So that's controlling the emotions, which is so typical. I've done it a billion times and it's something that I really have to be conscious of not doing. I want to pause you. Let's dive into that one for a minute. I want to talk about that one. I think that that's something that a lot of us who are raising anxious kids do and not because, you know, we're trying to negate their emotions. I think it, like you said, I think it's a, a knee jerk reaction because we want them to be okay. And I hear it all the time. And I mean, it's come out of my mouth too. And then I like, you know, you see it and then it's like a foreign object that flew out of your mouth. You're like, oh, why did I say that? But saying you're fine, 
you're fine. It's okay. It's not a big deal, right? Coming from a loving space, but what the child is hearing is you don't get that it's not fine for me and I'm not fine. And so when you tell me I'm fine and you tell me it is fine or it's not scary, then you don't get me and the communication is going to shut down. So I think that's such a beautiful point because it comes from a good place, mm-hmm. but it shuts down trust and communication because the child's not fine. And also I think to weave in the anxious component to this, I think a lot of us, the apple doesn't fall far. I say this a lot. The apple doesn't fall far from the genetic tree. And so a lot of us are anxious and I know our kids, big emotions trigger our stuff. And so we have to look at our stuff and and look at that and say, am I not okay? Because my child's not okay. So there's a little bit of an enmeshment or codependency of I'm a failure. If my child is not happy, happy, happy all the time. And so then I'm going to be like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. It's okay. It's fine. And I'm going to like do whatever I can to make sure that they feel fine. And that can be damaging, even though we don't want that. So that's a good point. I love that you bring that up. And it actually made me think of something else too, because a lot of these stories are things that we were told growing up and we're still told you can look online and you can, you can see so many messages on Instagram that are supposed to be really motivational and really inspirational, but really it's telling us that we have to be fine too. Like it's fine. Just be bigger, just be stronger, just, just power through it. And really it's just like you said, it's not meeting us where we're at with our own emotions. It's okay for us to be sad. Sadness is not a negative thing. It's okay for us to get nervous. Nervous is a very natural emotion. It's okay for us to get anxious. That's a natural thing as well. The trick is knowing how to feel these feelings and continue to move through them in a way that we can still be proud of. And that can only happen when we're actually being honest with our feelings and addressing them as they are instead of trying to shove them under a rug or put a happy blanket over them. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good point. Okay. So the second thing that this one is where I see myself stumbling most of the time is where we try to control the situation. I am a classic fixer. I love fixing things, especially for my children. And it makes me feel good. Like you were talking about Natasha, it comes from this place of love. And it really makes me feel important as a parent. If I can fix things for my kids, you know, they're sad. I can go in and fix it and I can make them happy. Mm -hmm. but controlling the situation would be like, oh, they're sad because their toy broke. I'm going to buy them another one. Or they're anxious about getting on airplanes. And so we're not going to get on airplanes or they're nervous about going to a new restaurant. So we don't go to new restaurants or whatever it is. We're, we're putting this pacifier over things that spark big emotions because we don't want them to feel those big emotions, mostly because we don't want the reaction that comes from those big emotions. That comes from under the umbrella of trying to control the situations, which again, goes back to that same idea that it's, it's not helping us or our child to be able to eventually navigate through these emotions in ways that they can really be proud of if we're just constantly avoiding them. And I wonder if there's two sides of that coin. So you have the parent that like, they want to smooth out that road. You know, if there's a bump on the road, they're like going two steps ahead and they're like, whoop, there's a bump, but we're going to do a detour. And so And that really, I mean, just as far as just behavioral, like cause and effect is like when your child has big emotions and then you clear the road, they are much more apt to have more big emotions because you're reinforcing that in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, I want, I wanted that lollipop and you didn't give it to me. I'm having huge emotions. And then you're like, look, honey, okay, fine. I'm going to go back into the store and get you lollipop and then let's move on. Right. And we just really reinforce that. But I also think coming from that love place, we don't want our kids to have pain. We don't want them to be upset. And a lot of times I'll get questions from parents when we're talking about big emotions and they'll say, 
yeah, it's not working out because she's crying a lot. You know, and I was mm-hmm. like, that crying is okay. Well, she's crying in her room. Well, when does she stop? Does she do anything bad? Does she hurt herself or other people while she's crying? No, but she can cry for like 30 minutes. I don't want her to be sad. Mm-hmm. It's okay for people to cry. It's okay for them to go hide and, and reset. So I feel like there's, there's that component that you brought up, but then there's also, and I don't know if you're going to bring this up, but there's also like just that authoritative, like disciplinarian, like I'm going to punish this out of you. I feel like both of those on the opposite ends of the spectrum aren't helpful, but they're the same thing trying to control. I'm really glad you brought that up. I wasn't planning on doing that, but it's true because a lot of people do think, oh, I'm just going to make you do this until you get over it. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Like if we just get on an airplane 500 times, you're going to have to figure out how to do it. Or I'm talking really extreme, you know, (laughs) like I will, I'm going to spank you if you don't be quiet. Oh yeah. And that is controlling the situation, right? Like, well, yeah, yeah, I would say that's almost controlling the emotions too. I'm going to spank the sadness right out of you. Yeah. So tough either way, whether we're doing it from a loving place or from a forceful place, I would say, just like you said before, those are two sides of the same coin where we're somehow trying to control the situation one way or another. And again, neither of them are really putting our child first and their, their future relationship with emotions. If the goal is for our child to be able to feel any emotion and be able to navigate through it, we can't force them into those things and say, just learn how to swim on your own and you will be fine. And we can't punish them if they don't. We have to find that happy ground where we're saying, okay, this is tough. I know this is tough. I'll be here to support you. And it's going to be tough. So let's go together. Mm-hmm. That's where we have to find that happy mid- middle ground. And it is really hard because again, it goes back to it's countercultural. A lot of people will say, just be bigger, just be stronger, just be more consistent or don't let them cry. That's really tough. If she's crying, that's not okay. It's not okay to cry. Um, there's so many messages out there that don't empower us to be able to address this in a really emotionally intelligent way. So I think that's why it's important to have conversations like these, where we can say, let's challenge that thought and let's challenge the way that we address this so that we can do it in a way that's helpful for us in the long term. Yeah. And we want to build our, our kids' resiliency. And I think getting them to, to learn like what you're teaching, you have a course where you teach parents to how to help their, their kids deal with these big emotions. It's so important because the world's changing and our kids are going to have to be much more resilient than maybe we did in our childhood. And if they don't learn how to navigate through these big emotions with our help, you know, the world can kind of crush them. You know, that's what I tell my kids. I got to teach you how to walk through these emotions and the, the emotions themselves. That's not the problem. It's just what you do with the emotions. And so I love that you're teaching that. Thank you. And I love the way that you said it. it's not the emotions that are the problem is the way you respond to the emotions and the actions that come from that. A lot of times people think that emotional intelligence is excusing a lot of behavior. Oh, you're sad. And so I understand that you need to go and throw a fit or you're sad. And so I see why you broke that thing. We're not excusing the behavior or pacifying behaviors, but we're really saying, okay, here's these emotions. And we get that these are hard and it's okay to cry, but you can't break things while you're crying. You can't you don't get a pass to go and hit somebody or you don't get a pass to do all of these other things. It's that you can feel emotions and still act in a way that you can be proud of, that we can all be proud of while still feeling these emotions. This is what actually being an adult should look like, even though a lot of adults aren't acting like this in these days. But <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I love that. So 
we don't want to pacify their emotions by by negating that they're actually experiencing them. And then we also don't want to be controlling where we're controlling the situation or trying to control their emotions even. So what are some things that you teach in your course that would help parents build that resiliency in their kids and, and their ability to handle big emotions? So we use three A's is what we call them. And it comes from acceptance commitment therapy. And the A's we were just talking about, Natasha, might spark a little bit of emotion in you, but we will we'll talk about this. Um, they're acknowledge, accept, and accommodate. And those three A's really help us to see the emotion. We're acknowledging that this is coming from an emotion, whatever this behavior or outburst is, it's coming from an emotion. We're accepting that this is the emotion that our child is feeling. We're not trying to change it or downplay it or whatever, but we're really accepting it. And then we're creating space for them to feel that emotion through the accommodate step, which isn't excusing behavior, but is making space for it and saying, okay, here's how you can still act, or here's how you can still respond to that emotion in ways that are value driven and can really help drive you towards who you really want to be in life while still feeling this emotion. So that's what we teach in our course, parenting with emotional intelligence. And it's really empowering. We took a bunch of people through the course just to test it out a few months ago and the parents came through it. And there were so many aha moments for the parents. They said, oh my gosh, I see how this is helping me so much with my emotions because I, as a child, I never learned how to deal with my own emotions. And going off what you were saying, Natasha, when we don't know how to deal with our own emotions, there's no way we can create space for our kids to navigate their own. So going through these three stages, acknowledge, accept, and accommodate, it helps parents to be able to create space for their kids' emotions as well. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's really nice to have some sort of kind of like method in the moment when you're feeling overwhelmed to be like, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing. I need to do these three A's. I will say, and we talked about this before we started the interview, when you just told me you're going to say that, I was like, okay, accommodation is like a four-letter word in our world. (laughs) Act, acceptance, commitment therapy is very popular in the anxiety and OCD world right now. I think ACT is taking over the world. (laughs) So um, many listeners are very familiar with ACT and just accepting. It's about acceptance and finding your values and choosing your values. But the accommodation you're not talking about, and I'll just say this to my audience, not really necessarily to you, but she's not talking about, (laughs) you know, giving into the anxiety or OCD. That's when we talk about accommodations, when we talk about the space program with Elliot Leibowitz, or we talk about removing accommodations, we're talking about pretty much fostering the anxiety or OCD by feeding into it. Uh, You don't want to go to school. Okay. I'll make sure that you don't have to, and you don't talk to your friend. I'll call her for you or with OCD. Oh, you want me to wash my hands every time I touch all your objects. Okay. I'll do that. Those are in our world. We call those accommodations. That's not what Wendy's talking about. You're talking about creating a space to accommodate the big emotion. Kind of like how I talk about zones, you know, in my like difficult behavior class, I talk about zones, you know, go to a zone and create the space. It sounds like you're talking about something similar, like creating a space for those big emotions. Absolutely. And a lot of the accommodations you were talking about actually reminded me of some of the examples we were talking about, about controlling the situation. It's not that we're trying to control the situation, but create something where our kids can feel safe to feel and express and work through that emotion rather than trying to constantly dodge it. That's what that looks like. And that can be, you know, that can look like us becoming their safe space as parents, 
So they know that we're not trying to fix everything for them or help them dodge all their feelings or help them pretend that they don't have feelings, but we are creating this space with them where it's safe to feel feelings. And sometimes you're going to mess up and you're going to freak out. And sometimes I'm going to mess up and I'm going to freak out, but this is a safe space where we're all learning together. And we're creating this culture of saying, okay, the emotions are not bad. We know that we can handle these. We just have to do it together. And that's, I think where it's so, so powerful. And it's something that I think a lot of parents have found that they feel closer to their kids when they go through this process of creating space for these emotions, rather than constantly trying to spend their energy fixing them, which is exhausting. It's a good shift. You know, you'll always get those parents will say, my child will like hit me or they're going, you know, there's, it's not going to be like kumbaya, you know, <laughs> like if I try to like hug my child. So how do you handle those kind of difficult behaviors where your child's not going to want to see you as a safe space or go to a safe space? You know, how do you set those boundaries while still being there? Yeah, I'd say first, this is the process and it takes time to build that trust. So for a long time, maybe we weren't a safe space for our child because we were trying to fix it or we weren't being somebody who they could listen to. So they end up having these reactions towards us, whether it's fight or flight, they could be attacking us or running away from us when they have big emotions. So it takes time to build that trust, to show them that we are that safe space. So in that process, it's really important to consider acknowledging like this is a process And these are emotions that are driving these behaviors. And so I'm going to focus on this emotion first, and we're going to deal with the behavior next. If it's something that comes to safety, I'm always going to say safety comes first. Safety trumps everything. You have to fix that first, not fix it, but address that first. But anything else, any other kind of behavior, you know, if your child is screaming, I hate you, I don't want to talk to you, blah, 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 blah. That's usually a pretty defensive mechanism coming from a child who doesn't feel heard or doesn't feel safe. We don't have to get into those behavior weed things right at the moment. We can say, you know what? It looks like you're frustrated right now. I'm just going to take a step back so I don't get too frustrated. And when we're both ready to talk, we can come back to this. And if your child is not ready to hear that, that's totally fine too. Say it in your head and remind yourself, this is a big emotion, not necessarily a big behavior that I have to fix right now. We'll discuss respect later when my child is in a place to really learn and really think logically, but the time to do that is not in the middle of the behavior for sure. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because I think that drives the fear in in a parent. Like I can't let my child get this out of control because they need to know that I am in charge, you know, and it becomes kind of like a pissing match, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) I'm in charge, you're not, and I'm going to squash you. And if I don't, address this behavior right now, then you're getting away with it. And so I think it's answer. It's looking at your, your own anxiety too, as far as what's driving your reaction to those big emotions, because I, these are the things I hear a lot. You know, I, I can't let her get away with that. Or she can't, Mm -hmm. she can't think that that's okay. And you're right. Like it's not the time to do that though. And having big emotions without doing damage is okay. I mean, if you want to go scream in your room, that's okay. If you want to go hide under the couch, that's okay. Because realistically, as adults, how many times have we reached our point where we're just like, I have no more patience for this. My anxiety is up here and I am going to freak out. And we need a space to be able to express that where we're not going to be judged for it or reprimanded for it or punished for it or shamed for it. And sometimes kids do that too. Like the other day, it was really hard for me, but 
my son got really mad about something. Oh, he got mad about his sister's iPad or something. Anyways, he just started freaking out and yelling. And it was interesting because he first was directing his yelling towards me because we had purchased an iPad for my daughter and he didn't get one, whatever. (laughs) But then he took it into his room and then he just started like making noise in there. And I knew he was upset. I knew he was angry. And part of me just wanted to go in and stop it. Like, you cannot do this. I will not let you do that. But instead I opened the door and I was like, okay, he is not damaging anything. So I'm going to let this right out. And I did. And I went and I, I took myself out of the situation. I didn't speak to him because he was just not in a space. So I went and sat out on the couch and it was interesting because about five minutes later, he on his own, he comes out and he's not ready to talk, but he needs to be around my physical presence. Like I was becoming a safer space for him. And I said, Hey, do you want to talk about him? He's like, no, I'm just so mad. Mm-hmm. So then he comes and kind of cuddles, you know, away from me, but kind of near me. And I could tell that he was warming up to the idea of me being his safe space, but he needed time to do that. And if I had pushed it, it would have pushed him back right into what he was in. So probably after like 10, 15 minutes, he was in that space where he was like wanting to cuddle up to me, wanting to talk a little bit. And I said, do you still feel really frustrated about your sister having an iPad and you didn't get one? He's like, no, it's fine. I realized that, you know, and he went through this logical explanation of why his reaction was overkill. And that came from him because I didn't interject and I didn't come in saying, you need to stop this right now. Even though I really wanted to, he was able to do that. And that was a really powerful moment, I think for him and for me to see how this process can play out if we approach it mindfully and really, like you were talking about before, check our own emotions and our own reactions when we're in the middle of these inevitably big emotions and big situations that are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good example. And removing ourselves, you know, becoming, I've been using the word detached a lot in my episodes. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. And it's not that we are not caring about our kids' mental health or their big emotions, but it's big emotions don't have to be scary. And so I think a lot of times we don't detach enough. And for some reason, maybe it's because I'm a therapist, or maybe it's because I have three kids, or maybe it's because they all have issues. I don't know. But I, I can detach like nobody's business, you know, like, you know, unless I'm really tired, we're at the airport you know, or we're at like Disney and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But detaching is such a good skill to build because you can be mindful, intentional and detached. And then it's not about you. You know, it's not about, Hey, I already bought you, you know, a skateboard that was $500. And, you know, you're being like, you're not grateful and, and you make it about you. I brought you to this really nice place and spent hundreds of dollars to get you here. And now you're having a problem because you didn't get another ice cream. You got to be kidding me. Like, you know, like this is kind of, that's about us, you know, instead of looking at it and being like, they're hot and they're sweaty and they're like uncomfortable and it's crowded and they're over sensory overload is happening and what's going on for that person. So I do feel like, I feel like it's really good to detach. And I love the way that you're teaching this mindful approach of letting them be in their own space and then seeing and look at yourself too, right? Like, what is this bringing up for me? You know, why am I uncomfortable with them just crying or why am I uncomfortable with them not being happy? I mean, I've been doing a lot of that lately, (laughs) trying to detach my, my kids' emotions from mine. Like there should not, they they shouldn't overlap even though they will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love that as parents, we can be more realistic about it. Like it's going to happen. Our kids are going to freak out. And maybe like you said, because we have kids with 
we'll call it neurodiversity, you know, different things that are going on inside them, different emotional things. But I like to think of it as if we take it back to the process, acknowledge, accept, and accommodate, we're acknowledging this is difficult for my child to feel this feeling and really navigate it. And we're accepting that this is bringing up big feelings in us too. This is really uncomfortable and really frustrating for me because I am feeling challenged as like the parent here. What, am, what does this say about me? Then we can get to that place where we can accommodate and say, okay, I see that this is hard for you because you're on sensory overload, because you're hot, because you're hungry and because you're out of your routine. And so what can we do to create space for you to still have this feeling and move through it in a way that might be a little bit more, I don't know, functional (laughs) rather than freaking out. And so what can we do? Maybe it's that we take a break from Disneyland for a few minutes and go somewhere else. Maybe it's that whatever, maybe it's that we stay here and just have a moment sitting on the bench where we're not rushing to the next thing, but we're creating that space to just feel that feeling. So I like that. Yeah. And that's not accommodating the way that we talk about, you know, it's like, it's recognizing and validating that they're having a hard time and giving them coping mechanisms that they could probably carry on their own as they get older to, to do that for themselves. So I think that's really important. Absolutely. I love the way that you said that. It's fun to hear how, you know, you only use certain words and we use certain words and they can all come together and it creates the same concept of like, mm-hmm. let's sit with our emotions rather than constantly running from them or trying to cover them up. Yeah. And I mean, this really is parallel to what we do with anxiety and OCD in general is sit with uncertainty and sit with discomfort. Like that's, that's what we do. And all the approaches, even with ACT, when it's related to anxiety and OCD, it's about sitting with the discomfort, you know, and just accepting it, you know? So for those parents out there who get that, then it's the same thing with the big emotions. It's, it's validating and it's sitting with the discomfort a little bit of adapting, you know, so that our kids can learn some coping mechanisms. But I think it's, it's important for kids to have big emotions. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. And I think sometimes inadvertently kids get the wrong message when we're constantly telling them that they're fine or that we don't allow them to have those big emotions because it makes us uncomfortable. Absolutely. I really think it's an interesting time to be parenting. Because a lot of us, and I'll go back to this all the time, but a lot of us grew up thinking emotions were not okay. Wasn't okay to be sad. It's not okay to talk back. It's not okay to question. It's not okay to do these things. And so now we're in this space where we see that it's not okay to not feel. Numbing is not okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And those cause long-term mental health problems. And we're seeing that now. So we know that it's, it's a good thing to help our kids feel these emotions, but because we've never learned how to experience them or feel our own, we don't know how to teach our kids to do that. And so that's where we need help, which is why I love the course that we have that we've brought out because it helps parents walk through this process of what it looks like to create space for emotions in their homes, because likely most people don't have that example anywhere in their lives. And so creating it isn't something that they can just do from, you know, thinking about it or wanting to be more emotionally intelligent. We have to know how to do that in a way that, that actually works inside of a home. Yeah. If it hasn't been modeled for you, if you didn't get that model for you growing up, the fallback is going to be what, what you were surrounded by as a kid. And so even if you want to parent differently, sometimes it's hard for us, I think, because we, we weren't modeled that. So we don't even know where to start. It's easy to go where we experienced, you know, you're fine or be quiet. So that is a really good point. So in your course, could you talk just a little bit about what's in there and what parents learn? Yeah. So it's a lot like what you teach or a lot, the the format of how you teach things. And so there's 
videos that you get access to. It's about three hours of content. You can watch it anytime. Once you get in, you have lifetime access. And we take you through the process of what it actually looks like to acknowledge in a home with big emotions and then what, what it looks like to accept and what it looks like to accommodate without pacifying or, <laughs> or going around. But we take you through real life situations and, and examples of what that would look like. So once you get in, you have access for a lifetime. You can go through it with your partner. You can go through it on your own. Just, I love the fact that it's self-paced. It's not, you have to show up for three hours, one time and watch it all right. then. you could do it at your own pace. We've had parents who are full-time working parents um, who are really overwhelmed by things at home and they still find time to create space for it. And they found that it really helps them to create a lot more calm in their home. I had one of the students tell me that it was interesting because she was taking the course and she came home and her son was really upset. He was freaking out. And so much so that he had vomited all over himself and just like really in the midst of a lot of anxious feelings. And she said that normally she would have come back and been like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Like, you need to go and clean up. You'll get in the shower. Like, what is this? But instead she sat down next to him and she's like, Oh, it looks like your body's really doing some things that feel scary. Isn't it? And she said it was interesting because she, she put her arm around him and she said, she just felt this like calm between them that she hadn't felt before. And they both felt that. And he started calming down like immediately. And they were able to talk for just a second. And he was able to work through it because she was there and had learned this process of how do I help him work through this rather than how do I get him out of it? How do I make it stop? Mm -hmm. And she said it was a really powerful moment for them because she felt so connected to her son without taking away his emotions. And I feel like that's so, such a gift that a lot of us weren't given, like you were saying. And we can really give to our kids if we learn how to do it in a way that's effective and empowering for all of us. It so is that's what gift. we try to do in the course. I love that. And it is a gift. It's a gift for ourselves because I'm sure people going through your course are learning things they don't know about their own emotions. So it's, it's a twofer, you know, <laughs> I think like a lot of these courses that are for the kids, quote unquote, are like, they're a twofer and that emotional intelligence and resiliency of being able to just sit and walk through those feelings is huge. And it will help their anxiety and OCD too, because they're going to approach things and you can approach things that are not related to big emotions, but are just related to anxiety and OCD in the same way that will really help. It really um, is a, a wonderful supplement, I think, to the things that people are learning in my world. Thank you. I appreciate the validation. It's fun to talk to somebody in a little bit different space who's, you know, you're, you're somebody that I look up to for advice on anxiety and OCD and all the things that you would go to for a therapist. And I just really appreciate that about you. So it's nice to hear that validation that this is something that's, that's really important and something that's really needed and something that can really help so many people. Yeah, no, and I look up to you. So it's a mutual looking up to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think your work is fantastic. And it's what I like about your courses and what I like about your style of teaching is that it's very relatable. It's very down to earth, you know? And so, you know, some of these approaches or styles that are taught, I feel like they're taught from above, you know? And it's like, sometimes I'm like, do you even have kids? You know, or like, <laughs> or like if I read a parenting book, you know, in my early days, I'd read a parenting book or normally I'd listen to them as I'm doing the laundry or something. And at the end of it, I would feel so insecure about my parenting. I'd be like, oh my gosh, wait, I said good girl. And I'm not supposed to say good girl. That's bad. <laughs> I was like, I'd be keeping my words. And my kids are like, mom, are you okay? And I'm like, wait, I didn't mean to say that. Let me just, let me just say that sentence again in a better way. <laughs> it's like, because that's my like neurotic personality. But 
when you have a teacher who is down to earth and is, you know, living the life that they're talking about, giving real life examples, and they're not, you know, you get it, it just feels better. So, and I, I know that's your teaching style. So I know people would really benefit from your course. Thank you. It's important to me. And it's important for me to have things be accessible, not just like you were saying, these, these super high concepts, one of the, so I produced this course with two other people and one of them has his PhD and he tends to be really rooted in the research, which is great because I know that there's some solid foundation behind what it is that we're teaching. It's not just something that works in my house that I want to work in yours too. It's something that has worked, you know, in lots of different people. There's research behind it, but he tends to be pretty technical in his language. And so it's fun because myself and the other girl that we did this with, we're both parents. We're both in the thick of it. We're both parent coaches. And so we know how to make it more accessible. And that's been the fun part is meshing these two worlds of this super technical research as within this, like, what is it that parents, everyday parents who don't have a PhD can understand and actually use in their home. So it was a challenge to create it. But I feel like it's been really fun to see it come to life and see how it helps people. Well, and it's a good combination. You know, you have someone who is research oriented, brings that collegiate kind of component to your course where, you know, it's backed in research and you're doing approaches that have been studied and validated, but then you get to translate that. And I feel like that is that translation. So it's not fluffy here. Like I did this yesterday and now you can try it and see if it works for you. You've got your master's, he's got his PhD, he's into research. But the way that you deliver things is very digestible, if that's even a word. (laughs) I like that. I like that. And it needs to be, right? Like you're saying, if we just can't do these, you have to do it this way or else it's bad. It's really subjective and it looks different in every single home. And that's the kind of approach that I want to take into my life. And that's the approach that we take care of. Here's here's the general umbrella of how we know that you can raise the emotional intelligence in your home. The way that it looks in your home will be different from the way that it looks in my home. And that's perfect. That's mm-hmm. what we want. So yep. you can say good girl sometimes and still be okay with it. Yeah. It happen. I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, one compliment. It's okay. Yes. So where can people learn more about your course? So we are over on Instagram at parenting big emotions. And if it's okay, we can just put a link to the course in your show notes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a long URL, so I wouldn't want to put it in here, but you can go find us on Instagram. You can check out that link in the show notes. And we're actually giving all of your audience who wants to get into the course, a $30 off coupon using AT parenting. So that's available as well. So it's accessible. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, you'll check out the show notes and you'll see the link below and I'll write the coupon code too, so that you guys can benefit from Wendy's wisdom. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I hope that you found that helpful. I really enjoy Wendy. I really enjoy her approach and her realistic understanding of parenting. You can check out her course. I will leave the link in the show notes. I didn't know that she was going to give my audience $30 off, which is super kind of her. We hadn't even talked about it. So the link in the show notes, if you click it, it actually takes the discount already. But if you just go to her website, you can use the code AT parenting. So you don't need to use the coupon code that she talked about. If you just click the link, cause the link is a special link that was developed directly for you guys. So I hope you are enjoying the podcast. I hope you are enjoying me bringing these experts to you to supplement my education that I'm trying to give you. 
and another voice out there that is fantastic and very down to earth. So I do have some really good guests lined up for you. You know, I normally don't have a lot of guests coming on. I'd like it to be like the Natasha show, but I do have a lot of people coming on in the next few weeks. So next week, I actually have someone from Instagram coming on to the show to talk about social media, and they're going to talk about what Instagram is doing to make Instagram safer for our kids. So I thought that would be fantastic to, to hear from Instagram directly on what they're doing and how we can keep our kids safe and not obsessed and, you know, all the other issues that come with social media. So that will be next week. And the week after that, I'm actually having Stephanie Krause come on the show and she is going to talk about how to prepare kids for an unsure world. She wrote a book about that. I feel like that's very appropriate in our times today where we just, you know, we need to foster our kids' resiliency a lot better. And she will have a whole conversation with us on that. So, and then the following week, I actually have someone else coming, but I'm going to stop it at that because I have a lot of people coming on and then it will just be me again, unless something happens. So don't forget to subscribe. So you don't miss those interviews coming up. Don't forget to rate the podcast. If you have some time that really does help, it helps the show get noticed. It helps the show be of value to other parents. And if you have a few extra seconds and you can write a review, you know, I greatly appreciate that. And always to show my gratitude, I like to read one of those. Mary wrote a thankful parent. I never listened to podcasts, but my sister suggested them one day when my daughter's battle with OCD and metaphobia and ARFID was getting out of control. I stumbled across Natasha, whether by luck or divine intervention, and her input has been life altering. Her podcasts are amazing, as are her classes and YouTube channels videos. She has a unique ability to speak to us as and then it cuts off. I don't know why that's happening on iTunes, <laughs> but that's as far as I could read. So I wanted to read that part though. And thank Mary for taking the time to leave a review. I really appreciate that. So maybe if you leave a review, I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope you guys find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll be back again next Tuesday. So take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 